across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour on this National Small Business Saturday. And which small businesses will we be featuring today? Well, here is Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with the details. Well, the uh, new Spanish coffee bar in Rose Crescent is one. Heath Root Farm and Simon Cider are two more. And we're featuring new cookbooks written by the owners of small business restaurants too, such as Celine Kierzim's Oklava and Mandy Yin's Sambal Shock, and one by Becky XL. Also on today's programme, local food and drink news, and at the end, our job vacancies roundup. And over to Rose Crescent. I'm currently sitting upstairs in Pinch, which is the new Spanish coffee bar and general bar on Rose Crescent and I'm speaking to Peter Rawlett who is the operations manager. So it's a lovely atmosphere up here, you've got lovely warm brick walls, you've got people coming in for coffee and what else can they have? The main idea behind the place is a Spanish coffee shop but we've also got a, a huge big wall of retail goods, all Spanish, ranging from chocolates, meats, cheeses and a lovely selection of wine as well. And then as we go through the day, it sort of transforms from your laid back Spanish coffee shop to more of an intimate wine bar. I think we're going to go downstairs where it's slightly quieter because it's getting quite bustly in here. We've come down into the slightly quieter environs of La Raza, which if you're a Cambridge person, you will know pretty well. It's on Rose Crescent, but it now has a little brother or big sister. How would you call it, Peter? Probably a, a little, little brother or little sister just upstairs called Pinch. You know, we opened about eight weeks ago. And the idea behind it, a degree of symbiosis between the two places. We wanted a street level coffee shop doing something a little bit different to a typical coffee shop. So we thought, how can that tie in with our experience with Spanish food and produce in La Raza, utilising the La Raza chefs and the La Raza kitchen. And so Pinch was born. So it's sort of a Spanish coffee shop. The food element is pinchos, a type of tapas, typically much smaller than your usual tapas, on bread or skewered. And the idea is you have one or two bites with a, a coffee or a small glass of wine and off you go. We've got a lovely delicatessen element to the place as well. And then in the evenings, it transforms into a, a lovely little wine bar. You've got a heritage of Spanish food then. Where's that come from originally? It's just something that we've always done at La Raza. I'm personally, you know, I'm a big fan of of a lot of things Spain, especially the wine side. Do you do sherries as well in the evening? We do do sherries in the evening. It's funny you should ask that, actually, because that's, that's probably the wine category where I'm most fond of. We, so we have yeah, probably about seven or eight sherries in there, five of which are always available by the glass. So you know whether you want your, your bone-dry fino or manzanilla or some sort of sticky sweet Pedro Jimenez after your meal, we've, we've got the whole range there. Tell me 
me a bit more about getting to the stage of opening up because that must have been quite tricky. It was quite tricky in the sense that everything has been sort of far trickier than usual over the last 18 months. We always wanted a place, a street level on Rose Crescent and the college always wanted to sort of diversify Rose Crescent a little bit. I think it's probably one of, if not the prettiest, street in Cambridge. So we were always speaking to the college about doing something. Kills, who were the previous tenants at the shop, moved out just before COVID hit. So we weren't able to take advantage of it immediately. But when we came out of lockdown in the summer, the college were very generous in letting us just use the space as an extension of La Raza. So while we were still coming up with the concept and idea of Pinch, we were able to add an additional 20 seats, which was extremely handy in a time where in La Raza, where we would typically have sort of 50 or 60 in here for dinner we were limited to 25 or 30 just coming out of spring this year and started working it but you know as you can imagine with um logistical and supply chain issues it's been a challenge getting it ready but we did it in the end and opened eight weeks ago how has it been since you've opened it's been great the reception's been brilliant we weren't sure in what capacity we would be able to open eight weeks ago we didn't know if we'd have enough staff whether we'd be able to do our full range of food whether we'd open for just limited hours but everything was okay in the end so now we've reached that stage where we now are trying to shout and scream and let everyone know that we're there so it's been a a slow build to begin with but we see the same faces every day always great and everyone that comes in seems pleasantly surprised that they've stumbled across it and comments on how beautiful the place looks and how lovely the coffee and food is so yeah it's great give me an idea of some of the types of foods that you're doing we do a lovely selection of pastries and cakes available first thing in the morning i would say our our biggest seller from that is pastel donato which we know it's not spanish but it's just so decadent and and delicious and naughty we can't not do it for those that don't know it's a portuguese custard tart very nice you know they they put our english version to shame really and then by midday we'll have brought up the rest of our savory colds and our hot dishes and that ranges from the most simple ham on on bread to a little bit more wholesome dishes braised ibirico pig cheeks we've got some lovely spanish meatballs and manchego cheese in addition to sort of all the pinchos we do we have sort of a nice sharing platter which we can change daily or weekly by utilising actually all of the products we have on sale in the deli. So a lovely element of the place is when you're sat down having a glass of wine, looking at the menu, if there's not something that we've actually listed on the menu or you see already prepared in the fridge, we can just pull something off the shelf and do something there and then with that. If people decide, oh, actually, what I'd really love is some embryo, some some quince jam, then you say, oh, yes, yes, you know, here's our quince paste on the shelf. You can buy some with us as well. That's it. And additionally, pretty much all of the food that you can come and eat in pinch the sort of raw ingredients are there for sale in the place too so you can always then buy those and recreate it at home could you just give me an idea of your opening hours and well we're open all day until six o'clock sunday monday tuesday from wednesday to saturday we're open in the morning as usual at 9 a.m but we're staying open until 10 11 o'clock at night so that's much more sort of spanish hours isn't it social media we're on instagram pinch.cambridge so quite easy to find. Well, it's a lovely atmosphere, so let's go back upstairs and get another coffee. And so we did. That was Peter Rawlins from Pinch in Rose Crescent. And the name comes from Pinkstos, the Basque version of Tapas. 
Well, it sounds really good. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go there. But it was interesting how highly Peter rates Sherry, which it's still a bit of an unknown to a lot of people, don't you think? Oh, it is a bit. I mean, people tend to think of, you know, going back many years to the sort of Bristol cream Sherry. And, sweet and sickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in fact, there are so many different types of Sherry. So, so Fino, Manzanilla and Pedro Jimenez, that amazingly sticky one. Yeah. Oh, Sherry's are really worth discovering. And a lot of it's very food-friendly, isn't it? Very food-friendly, yes. Oh, yes. Right. I love Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's go on to our first news break now. And today... Saturday is Small Business Day, where everybody is encouraged to shop independently and locally. And to celebrate the day, at 1pm at Maurizio Dining on 44 Mill Road, there are some Christmas dishes on a free tasting. And whilst you're there, tucking in, you can find out more about Cambridge Sustainable Food, and there's some live local music too. There's some street food news. At the Plough in Great Shelford on the 7th of December is Jamra Charcoal Grill's Middle Eastern Barbecue, on the 8th Steak and Honour, and on the 14th Gino's Pizza. Wine Rooms is launching a gift box, and there is an Oris and Sun gift box available too. More information on social media. The Green Room in Sawston is in its soft opening week at 80 High Street, Sawston. Some tables are always kept back for walk-ins, otherwise book. Tables are available from the 8th of December. They're fully booked for breakfast, lunch and dinner until then. Uh, Provenance in Whittlesford is extending its opening days in December to include Thursdays. Some Christmas market news now, and there is a Christmas market in Linton on Saturday the 11th of December from 10 till 2 with local food and drink producers and sellers, including Bumble and Oak, Steak and Honour, Bicycle Bakes, Hum Clothes and Cheeses and Wild Sky Brewery. It's at Linton Free Church in Horn Lane, and updated information will be on the Linton Kitchen's social media. Uh, parking is available as well in Linton Village College. Also on the 11th of December, there's a Christmas market from 5 till 8.30 in Trumpington Meadows with carols at 7pm. The Cambridge Brass Band will be there and Santa and his elves too in the local centre. Uh, and there are other uh, Christmas markets around. Just check social media for details. Uh, meanwhile, Finn Boys is taking Christmas orders for collection on Christmas Eve. And by the way, they're now doing fish in blankets. Their fish sausages wrapped in swordfish bacon. And if you've not had their fish sausages, you're in for a treat. Their daddy section now also includes mackerel and horseradish pate, which I must try, as well as runner bean chutney, which I have tried, and it's delicious. <laughs> And on to the subject of Christmas replacing turkey with various types of non-animal protein. That's the subject of a webinar this week called Christmas Dinner 2050. Will we be eating alternative turkey? Now this is part of Cambridge Global Food Security's IRC Coffee Break Seminar Series and EIT Foods Annual Food Agenda. Alan asked Project Coordinator Abigail Youngman about it. Well, what sort of questions are going to be discussed? Whether these sort of alternative proteins are more environmentally friendly and, whether pe and quite importantly, whether people actually enjoy eating them. And in the case of algae, which is one of the um, products, we're, we're kind of be thinking, that sounds disgusting really, doesn't it? And so we'll be thinking about how can you make that into something palatable, how much protein does it contain and actually how much protein do we really need because I think we all think we need loads and actually we need a bit a bit less perhaps than than we think so that's something we're we're going to be finding out from our, our brilliant panel 
And and also presumably there's going to be at some stage if if we do start moving to away from animal protein there's going to be quite a big marketing job to be done because as you say some of these things algae always I don't know why it makes me think of sort of slimy seaweed. Well, you know? well you're right because because <laughs> actually the sort of um, algae that Ellen Harrison who'll be speaking works on is microalgae which literally is I'm afraid pond slime. <laughs> so <laughs> you know if you're intrigued. <laughs> so a, a pond slime Christmas dinner, yeah, there's yeah. quite a lot to be thought about there. Yeah. <laughs> right, and when, when is it? Um, it is on Friday, December the 10th at 2 o'clock. OK, and how can people get access to, to it? Well, they need to go, the easiest way is to go to the Cambridge Global Food Security website um, and you can find a listing for the event there. And it's called Christmas Dinner 2050, Will We Be Eating Alternative Turkey? And the speakers for that are Nick Saltmarsh, uh, uh, co-owner of Hodmadod, Dr. Dr. David Willer, Department of Zoology and Ellen Harrison, PhD student in the Algal Innovation Centre, and chaired by Francesca Ree Manning of Cambridge Global Food Security, and they're all part of Cambridge University. So that's this Friday coming up, 2 till 3, and you can listen again along with their other talks via their website. Burwash Larder will be open until 7pm Wednesdays running up to Christmas. And that's all the news for now. OK, on now to where you can get some really good and often unusual varieties of fruit and also over 20 different types of cider. Over to Sue. I'm out in the countryside talking to Rob Bowsfield, who is of Heath Fruit Farms in Bluntisham. And we're standing next to some cherry trees, but these are not the only trees you have here, are they, Rob? No, they're not. We have apricot trees, apple trees, plum trees, uh, green gauge trees, and a lot of pear trees as well. It, it looks like they're spreading for quite a few acres. That's correct. We have 25 acres of fruit trees here. It's all orchards. We don't really grow anything else apart from a few vegetables for the farm shop. It's getting a little bit windy here. So let's head on inside and then you can tell me a little bit more about how the fruit farm started. And we're heading inside now out of the cold into the farm shop, which I gather opens on Saturdays. Is that right, Rob? That's correct. Yes, whenever we've got fruit, we open it from nine till one on Saturday mornings. So this time of year, you're not picking, are you? No, picking is all done. We finished picking about the end of September and we've been selling the fruit out of cold storage. Because we forget the fact that, you know, you don't have to have something that you're picking fresh off the tree. Of course, it can potentially be stored for quite a long while. So we're back from the orchard and Rob's just shown me the cold store where the pears and apples are ripening. So I gather you were saying they actually develop a better flavour the longer you store them? When we pick the fruit, it's often slightly underripe because otherwise if we left it until it was tree ripe, it would just blow off and fall on the floor and the squirrels and the birds would come and eat it. So we pick it in good condition for storage purposes and it goes in cold storage. When you consider an apple like a cox, it's often very sharp when it's picked. It's, it's ripe to an extent, but it's sharp. And after a certain amount of time in cold storage, as the autumn draws to a close, about now they're at their peak, they've really developed their top flavour, they're in good condition, and they're, yeah, they're really yummy. Like, no, attest to that, they smelt absolutely delicious. I mean, you're busy all year round, aren't you? Oh, yes, yes, it never stops for us, really. I mean, there's just some times of year when it's busier than others. 
Talk me through your year. Okay, so right now we're starting to think about pruning the trees. We're still selling apples out of cold storage and we're also starting to prune the trees and we're looking at next year's blossom buds. Then in the spring, we eagerly await the onset of blossom and we worry about late spring frosts and we hope we don't get too many of them. Because there was one this year, wasn't there? Well, there was more than one actually and in the end I gave up trying to save the apricots by lighting bonfires around the trees because there's only so many nights you can get up and do that, isn't there? So once the blossoms set, what then happens? So we're guarding the fruitlets against pest and disease We only spray if we really need to. If there's ladybirds on the tree and they're doing the job for us, we let them get on with it. And then we have to cut the grass around the trees to stop it taking the place over and stop it competing with the trees for nutrients. And then we're waiting for the cherries to start ripening, which generally happens about mid-July. And so we're picking cherries all through July. We open our farm shop on Saturday mornings. If there hasn't been too many frosts, we have apricots as well in July. That works out about 50% of the time. And then we're moving into plums throughout August. We have green gay. Then we move into Victoria plums and damsons and then early apples like Discovery, Laxton's Fortune and then we move into picking pears and main crop apples after that. Do you have a Cambridge gauge as a matter of interest? Yes we do, we grow a lot of Cambridge gauge, they're a lovely green gauge, they're one of my favourite fruits. I gather that there's actually been an orchard on the site for a long while. Well actually Heath Fruit Farm itself has been here for just over 100 years. Heath Fruit Farm was started by the late owner, Mr. Wallace's grandfather in 1919. He planted the first plum trees and the farm grew in size from then on. Some of the oldest plum trees are still there today. That's real heritage fruit, isn't it? That's that's correct, yeah. So do you have some unusual varieties of fruit as well? Yes, we grow a very wide range of varieties. Um, For instance, when I go on the farmer's markets, which we do once a week, I'm explaining to people that there's a lot more to pears than just a conference pear. We also take commis pears to the market. There's one called Burr Superfin, which has a very strong, very delicious sort of flavour that not many people know about. And we grow these big ones called Pitmar and Duchess. They're a great big yellow pear, great for making pear and chocolate dessert. That sounds absolutely delicious. So which are the markets that you go to? So the farmer's markets we do. We go every Saturday. We're either at St Ives or Ely. You also have some products in your farm shop too. Can you tell me a bit more about those? Yes, so we have Pippin Tree Press Apple Juice, which is a brand we started a few years ago. And what happens is any apples that are marked have something wrong with them, but otherwise are still fairly edible go into the juice it's full bodied it's cloudy got high fruit content we have that made for us now and we also get jams made for us out of our plums green gauges damsons and apricots and we also sell frozen fruits that's a new thing for us we've just started uh, chopping plums up and putting them in bags and selling them as frozen fruit through the winter we're going to now go and talk to another person who makes use of your crop, Simon of Simon Cider. Talk of the man, Simon Cider has just arrived. So, Simon, it's lovely to see you again. And you too, Sue. Tell me about your friendship here and why am I seeing you on a fruit farm? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a relationship that we built up over the last, well, pretty much, I think, two or three years into me making cider. was getting together with Rob, who has an orchard that has got an an eclectic range of of apples. And that's what we want as cider makers. We want range, we, we want interesting stuff. And the first time I approached Rob, he said no. 
we're, we're busy. Really? Did you, did you really say no? He always says that, but I can't remember. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he said, no, we, we haven't got any apples left. He was selling to other people. The, about three years into my business, so that would have been 2014, I, I messaged Rob again and he said, yes, we've got capacity. You can have some apples if you want them. And the relationship's been built from there. As a business, Simon Cider has always been about using waste apples. It's never been about premium quality apples. It's never been about going and buying the best stuff from where you can get it. It's been about getting the best you can from what is available as waste. And for Rob, it's greyed out. It's the stuff they don't want off the trees. It's the bum-shaped apples. It's the scabby apples. It's all those sorts of things. The Kardashians. Kardashian the apples, Kardashians. yes. It's always been about taking the apples that would otherwise be thrown on the field and would have been chucked away. And it provides income for the growers that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And it also means that we get the best apples, we get the ripest apples, because Rob, as a grower, will pick apples that are generally slightly underripe because he needs to store them for sale and they'll ripen in the cold store and they'll ripen in the sheds. Whereas what we want is we want ripe apples because sugar is alcohol. Exactly. That's the business I'm in. We glean, so Rob and his team will go through and pick through the orchards and they will leave the apples on the trees that they know they don't want. And then we can go through afterwards and we can pick those as well. And it means we get them at a better price, which means that we're not having to pay too much for, for what we get. And especially with the last two years of stuff, being able to buy apples in a reasonable price has been a great thing. Apples are worth nothing on the tree and apples are worth nothing on the floor. The only time apples are worth anything is when they're in a basket and they're being dealt with. It's trying to bridge that gap and it's making sure that people like Rob, as growers, have an additional income. If he doesn't want the apples on the trees because then they're no good for him for the market, the, the people that he would be selling to are going, yeah, that doesn't have the right pressure in it, it doesn't have the right stuff, it's got a little bit of scab or what it looks like a bottom. Whereas we'll just go, right, we'll have that. It'll mm. do, we'll turn that into cider. So the relationship, and I think that's the, bit, the thing that a lot of people forget is that throughout businesses relationships have to be good and rob and i have got a great relationship we get on very very well both as people and as business people and we understand that there has to be a bit of give and take we're both happy to give and we're both happy to take and, and that's what you want at the end of the day that's what you want is we we both know what what it takes to, to earn a little bit extra and for me if i can go back through and pick apples that are going to give me better yield are going to give me better fruit then I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do that and it works well and it means that Rob can have a business here that brings an extra few quid in. That sounds like a really lovely relationship Rob. So. Yes no it works very well actually and um, there's nothing worse as a grower than grading your crops and, and picking them and thinking well what do I do with the other half you know that's not up to standard and to have someone like Simon coming along and clearing them all up and turning them into something that people are going to really value is wonderful. Tell me about the thing that that people really value your cider, Simon. <laughs> it, it, we're, we're doing really well on the cider side, but we, we've just won Champion Cider and Perry at Norwich Beer Festival, which is another accolade. Every year that we've made cider, we've won something um, from camera, which is fantastic. It, it goes to show that there's something there that we're doing right as, as a business. And we're available throughout Cambridge. Um, we, I mean, we, we are 
I think we're pretty much the Milton Brewery pubs cider of choice at the moment, <laughs> which seems to work really well. We're very localised. We do sell a lot of stuff in Cambridge. But we also have a cidery in Godmanchester. We moved over there September before last, September 2020, and we moved the cidery there. So this is the first year of pressing in Godmanchester. But we also have a cider tap. We open up on the first weekend of the month, and we have 16 ciders on tap, 13 of our own, three others from guests, plus other things in bottles and other exciting things. So that 13 of your own ciders? Yes. Indeed. Is that the total number of your ciders? No. How many? <laughs> we have around about 26 in the range. We dip in and out. It all depends on what's available. I mean, again, it, it comes down to people like Rob and to other growers that we deal with. If we get an apple that comes along, we'll, if we get enough, we'll make a single variety cider out of it. If it tastes good, then we'll run it as it is. If it's a bit meh, then we'll blend it into something else. But generally, we've got stuff. We've got Discovery, we've got Spartan. We did Perfection a couple of years ago, which is, Rob is the only person that grows it. We have Crispin worked really well as a, as a single variety cider. Again, it's another one of Rob's. Yeah, why not try it? If, if you try it and if, if it's exciting and it, it makes a really good cider, then yeah, go for it. And if it doesn't, just blend it with something else and it'll disappear. So what's the date of your next cider tap? So we are, he tries to check his calendar, first, second, <laughs> first, second and third of December. So the first weekend of December, so it's around about the first, second and third, and then the 17th, 18th, 19th. People listening to the programme today will yeah. get a chance of coming along. What time do you close? Yeah, so we, we close at somewhere after 11. At night? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's all right. Then. So we, 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 we open generally mid-afternoon. I mean, most of the time we stay from four, but I'm usually there from midday anyway, so people can come in. Sundays especially are easy to do because we don't have that many bookings on a Sunday. It's generally a walking day on a Sunday. Friday and Saturday nights do tend to be busy. Right, um, so you so, have to book, do you? Yeah, so if you, if you, if you want to come on a Friday or a Saturday, it's best to book, unless you're going to come in the sort of the four till six slots. Right. But on a Sunday, it's generally a great walking day. So how do we find out? Do you have a website? Yeah, it's simonscider.co.uk. You can go on there and you can look both at our products page, which is our web shop, and you can also have a look at our taproom page, and that will show you the details for the taproom when we're open there. Easy to find out. and Very easy. And easy to come along, because you're Godmanchester-based. Yeah. We yep, yeah, we're in Godmanchester. If you're in Cambridge, you can get the X3. That bus runs and it drops you around about 500 yards away from where we are. And then it's very easy to get a taxi back into St Ives and jump on the busway to get home. That sounds like a very good idea for the people who want to <laughs> properly sample. Rob, what's your website and when's your shop next open? So our shop is next open on Saturday morning from 9 till 1. And we'll also be on St Ives Farmers Market on Saturday morning as well. And our website is www.heathfruitfarm.co.uk and on there there's a calendar of our stalls which tells people where and when we'll be at certain places and what we'll have for sale and you can also access a mailing list from the website which is proving to be very useful for some people because each week during the harvest we email people and tell them what we're picking and what we'll have for sale at the weekend. So after this weekend, you'll be opening again once before Christmas? Uh, twice, I think, actually, yes. So go check on the website then. That's right. Lovely. Oh, well, I think it's been fantastic to talk to you both and to hear about the sort of symbiosis between grower, producer and then person who turns it into alcohol. And next Saturday, the Heath Root Farm stall is at Ely Market and St Ives Market on the 18th. 
Coming up here on Flavour, if you're struggling to decide what to buy a food lover for Christmas, Sarah Lavelle will be here to take us through some exciting new cookbooks. And Dave Fox will be talking about how to green up Cambridge with many more opportunities for people to grow your own food. That's in two minutes. 105. Cambridge 105 Radio. Kickstart your weekend. Saturday Breakfast with Matt Webb. I'm here every weekend to get you moving. I have the latest from the Cambridge News Desk on the hour and half hour. Problems on the A14, Newmarket Road or Mill Road? Well, if there are, you'll be the first to know in the travel. There's a full sports roundup at 8.30, including what's happening at Cambridge United and our other local clubs. Plus a look at the Saturday papers and local online publications at 10 to 9. That's Saturday Breakfast with me, Matt Webb, this weekend from 8. If you're like me, you've got a family and a business. Business, and you want to protect what's most important when the chips are down. With Woodfine Solicitors, that's exactly what happens. I got a bespoke legal service from a friendly expert team. They really listened to what was going on and tailored their recommendations to my situation, which was, well, that's another story. Anyway, the best thing was that it all happened online. A few simple clicks and I had my quote. That freed up time to focus on everything else. Get the help you need when you need it most. Visit woodfinds.co.uk or call Cambridge 411421. Woodfinds, cutting through the red tape. What does your home need to feel complete? Gap Home Improvements have been helping customers give their properties that curb appeal for over 20 years. You've seen our vans in your area providing dedicated support to families across Cambridgeshire. Windows, doors, garden rooms, conservatories and warm roofs. We offer free quotations in a pressure-free environment. In person, on the phone or by video call, our consultants will help you realise your property's true potential. Call Cambridge 914-567 or visit gaphomeimprovements.co.uk today. Welcome back to Flavour. Now, Alan, you've been finding out about some new cookery books. Uh, yeah, I spoke with uh, Cambridge resident Sarah Lavelle, who has recently been promoted to Managing Director at Quadril. Uh, many congratulations, Sarah, uh, about some recently published books. And there are some real sizzlers. And actually, I think I got a bit overexcited. Sarah, these new books, I was looking first at this one by Mandy Yin, mm. called Sambal Shiok. And what an extraordinary book it is. I, I, I've rarely seen a book that's so vibrant. Yeah, it's gorgeous, isn't it? I love that cover. Beautiful oh. photography and, yeah, fantastic colours. And some of the spreads inside are just, they're just extraordinary. Yeah, just beautiful. It's Louise Hager is the photographer and we've worked with her on lots of books over the years. A, a lot of the kind of impact of those photos is also the styling, which is by Alex Breeze. He's an absolutely brilliant stylist. But yeah, I mean, it's just a breathtaking book in every possible way, kind of visuals and the breadth of the recipes and the flavours. It's just, she's, uh, it's such an achievement, I think. And it's her first book. It's amazing. And an incredibly useful book as well. Uh, you know, the, uh, part of the introductory pages tell you about Malaysian ingredients. And um, not only does she give you her own preferred brands, which I think is useful, She's very clear about what not to use. So she says, you know, use any type of rice except Uncle Ben's because it never <laughs> gets it never gets soft enough to absorb sources. You, I, you rarely see that sort of candidness. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good, isn't it? And 
well, you know, you've got lots of cookery books and I've got hundreds of cookery books, but I don't really think I've ever, I've ever seen one that goes into that level of useful detail and background. I I think it's a really unique book. I think it's an extraordinary book. And she has a restaurant as well, I I read. (laughs) Yes, she does. It's Sambal Shiok is the name of the the restaurant, which means shockingly good sambal, in fact. And yes, it sort of started as a pop-up. In fact, I think the first things she cooked were um, satay, chicken satay burgers. But her, her passion was always this sort of um, laksa, this curry laksa. In fact, I think she says in the intro that she used to have it for lunch every day when she was at primary school in Malaysia. Um, <laughs> they had the incredible sort of school canteen that was you know almost like a food market um and she absolutely loved this dish and so I think she she had a career as a lawyer in London actually um her family moved to the UK when she was about 11 and anyway she she sort of I think just burned out from you know all the long hours and and decided that to pursue her passion which was food yeah and ended up opening her own restaurant which was based around this signature dish of the, the laxa and it's it's on Holloway Road. I think it's been open about three years now. But yeah, I've been a huge hit with kind of critics uh, and everyone basically loves it. Yeah, she has quotes from Jay Rayner and um, Grace Dent as well, who obviously rated it very highly. And some yeah. of the recipes are just really exciting. The Chinese sweet sticky ribs, the turmeric fried fish, fritters like vegetable and spicy lentil fritters uh, lamb in tamarind they're just have you had any have you cooked from the book yet i have i have cooked i mean this is right up my street this kind of sweet sour salty flavors um she in fact most of the dishes i think she said were sort of inspired by her mum and her mum's cooking i've done the nyonya chicken curry actually i made i made a double quantity of the sauce when i made it and you reminded me that half half of it's in the freezer so <laughs> that's great a great gift for a future sarah from past sarah there um but also there's that the hainanese chicken rice which is one of those deceptively simple dishes because when you serve it up on the plate it's actually it's kind of cooked rice and plain poached chicken but it's sort of all about the kind of subtleties of what, what you put in the poaching liquid and then you actually fry the rice up in bits of um chicken sort of fat and skin so that you just get that all oh, lovely rich tasty unctuous fatty chicken amidst the rice and then you have this sort of beautiful delicate perfumed broth on the side as well so it's just so good well, it just sounds just fantastic. I could imagine doing a lot of recipes from that book myself. Shall we move on to a book called Three, uh, Acid, Texture and Contrast by Selin Kiazim, who I think is Turkish. Is that right? She, yes, yeah, she's, I mean, she's from London, but she grew up in North London in a, a sort of Turkish Cypriot family. That's right. And so I think there were lots of, lots of those sort of family uh, cooking influences do sort of pervade her her food. One of the, I think, joys of this book is it's not just about the recipes. In fact, the first 90 pages aren't the recipes. Uh, well, she talks about the importance of acidity and texture and contrast and how to bring it into your cooking. Just massively useful. Yeah, well, that was the whole idea around it was, you know, she realised that as a chef, there are certain things that you you just sort of assume or come naturally to you that you've learned through experience and your training. And, and she just really wanted to 
teach the home cook how to do that themselves. Um, she really wants to empower home cooks to sort of cook in a more intuitive way. Although, I mean, of course, it is a cookbook, <laughs> um, but she doesn't want people to be a slave to the to the recipes. So, by going through explaining this whole these concepts of acid texture and contrast they are absolute building blocks at the heart of you know every gorgeous plate of food and it's all just all about um how to balance those and kind of trusting your palate and just using her she has so many really quite straightforward tips for how just even little things can make all the difference you know realizing that that acid isn't it isn't just lemon juice or, or vinegar you know it's sumac it's tamarind and the kind of subtle differences between all those those different kinds of acid i cooked one of her recipes it was in the guardian's feast magazine a few weeks ago it was braised uh hispy cabbage with crispy shallots and something else i can't remember something else but it was really good and very simple delicious but simple you know yeah yeah it, re- it really is i think i've done a version of that before actually from her recipes I was funny cabbage is having a huge comeback. We were, I was at a shoot this week and <laughs> cabbage, kind of cabbage cooked in, in coals was the big hit. It was the one that everybody got excited about. It's so funny. And was it was it hispy cabbage? This is often hispy cabbage you, you I don't see. think it was in this it, it, I don't think it was in this case, but hispy definitely has become a very on-trend uh, ingredient in restaurants. And she has a restaurant as well. She does. It's called Oclava and it's in it's in sort of Shoreditch. Oh, fantastic restaurant. I mean, this is where I first ate Selin's food. I think I went a few weeks after it opened. It must be quite a few years ago now. But she's just such a good, she's such a brilliant cook. It just, I don't really feel like I've ever tasted food like hers. And but also in the book, she's just so good at explaining and teaching and talking you through it. She's really, really good writer, as well as having this kind of exceptional palette and and just such a way with ingredients and combining them and using them I just don't think I've ever you know I look at the recipes in three and I just don't feel like I've ever seen those combinations and recipes before yeah which is, is really you know quite hard these days absolutely I mean there's one which struck me apricot mint and onion uh with baked fish just not a combination that I would ever have thought of no no Lots of ideas for salad, seafood, poultry and meat, fruit, brassicas, as we've mentioned. A really useful book, one that educates you, I think, into ways of cooking. I hope so. I hope it will inspire people to, uh, yeah, to to have a go and be a bit uh, adventurous in their cooking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then there's a book about gluten-free cooking by Becky XL, who has an extraordinary number of followers on Instagram. I mean, <laughs> hundreds of thousands, I think. You know. She does, she does. And she's um, she's kind of amassed that following in a fairly short period of time, but she works so hard at it. And I think the reason that she, well, aside from the fact that she's making these brilliant recipes that people really, really want if they've, if they've gone gluten-free, but she really engages with with her followers. You know, I think she, if anybody asks her a question or comments, she gets back to every single one. I mean, it's almost a wow. full time job, I think, for her. Yeah. It's a joyous book, I think. the The layout, you know, it's just very appealing, fun, and and light. And the, I mean, what what's in the book? The the range of things. I mean, the, the, her story about 
being celiac and then going into, I think it was a baker, a, a gluten-free bakery and seeing what was possible is, uh, is, is fantastic. And she's really taken it, taken it on. But yes, yeah, she, I mean, she really wanted to avoid having obscure ingredients, but also avoid that kind of, I think for many years, the gluten-free options were, were quite kind of worthy and, you know, solid. And and she sort of realised that basically if you've, if you've if you've gone gluten-free, what you want is all the things that you used to eat before anyway. So she's providing the recipes for them and they're really, really good. And the, the comments and feedback that she she gets are all about how they taste exactly the same as, you know, as gluten versions and how wonderful it is to be able to eat these foods again. Well, they look marvellous. The Black Forest Gatto just looks superb. And there's nice desserts like lemon meringue pie, and then there's some very, very colourful cakes, which you think would be, just be wonderful if you are if you had a celiac child, you know, for a birthday cake, something like that. It's, yeah, it's, but... a, it's a lovely book. And people who are celiac have had a very hard time, haven't they? I mean, people I know who are celiac, before they discovered they were celiac, were just wondering why they were so ill all yeah. the time. Yeah, that yeah, that is the thing. I mean, it's, it's and there hasn't been an awful amount of, of publishing around it, I think. Or if it, if it has, it was kind of presented in quite a dry and scientific way. So yes, as you were saying with this book, it is colourful, it's bright, it's fun, and it reflects um, you know, Becky's her Instagram feed and really what her what her fans want. And the other the other thing we wanted to do was bring her fans into it. So we included lots of I think this was Becky's idea, included lots of comments from pe- people that she'd sort of spoken to on on social media and um, included those in the end papers of the book. And it's just, yeah, it makes yeah. it really personal. They're a little, they're a family, you know. But, you know, Becky, has, she's sort of established herself as the, the, the go-to person for, for really good gluten-free recipes. And I, in fact, um, Nigella Lawson has called Becky the queen of gluten-free. And, and whenever she gets queries for gluten-free cakes, she always refers people to Becky, which is brilliant. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. I mean, Becky's, Becky's so modest, she can't quite believe it, but <laughs> she's, she's now had two Sunday Times bestsellers in, in you know, the two books we've done. So yeah. all power to her. She's amazing. Right. And another, another well-known person is Matt Tebbett from, from television. His book is called Weekend. Matt is absolutely brilliant. Obviously, you know, he's very well known as a TV chef, but he, he, he actually ran his own pub, a gastro pub um, called the Fox Hunter in, in Wales for, I think, something like 15 years. And then he sort of now focuses on TV. But it, it had been a long time since he'd done a cookbook. I think it was about um, about 11 or 12 years when I when I first spoke to him. He wanted the, the idea to be right. Um, and it was also during lockdown, so... We were kind of thinking, what are people going to want? But it also had to be the right fit with Matt. And of course, at that point, it was when, you know, we, I think we've been in lockdown about a month and the days kind of all blurred into one and you just, you had nothing to kind of base your week around. So we came up with this idea of weekend cooking, making it really special again, marking it as the weekend you know, everything from a kind of lazy Friday evening, something fairly easy and comforting to, you know, that a lovely Saturday brunch with the papers and, you know, and then Saturday night fun food with friends and Sunday lunches. And it just made, because of Saturday Kitchen, of course, it just made total sense for Matt to write that book. And a wide range of cuisines in there as well. 
So things like hot sour soup, which I absolutely love, Portuguese chicken, coriander and garlic soup, bunny chow from South yeah. Africa. And there's one which is a cross between a pancake and a Yorkshire pudding, which... Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that the Dutch, what's it called? Dutch, Dutch baby with figs baby, and yeah. raspberries. I mean, that really does sound very nice indeed. Yeah. Yeah, his recipes are super. I mean, there are lots of sort of trad, you know, British things in there as well. I mean, lots of Sunday lunches. One that I just thought was such a brilliant idea. I can't believe I've never seen a recipe before, which was roast chicken with salt and vinegar chips. And you kind of think that is such a a great idea. And he's also a big fan of bacon and cheese, which I've been two of my favourite things. There's a roast butternut squash in there with um, it's with pancetta and gruyere and parmesan cream. Oh, my gosh, it sounds Amazing. <laughs> I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to. It's and, on uh, your list. <laughs> it is. And an alpine stuffed bread. So it's bread stuffed with smoked sausage and I think, oh, potatoes and gruyere. So it's almost sounds like a fondue in a bread, which God, is my dream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Matt Tebbert weekend. And then a book really for coming up to Christmas, Advent by Anja Dunk, who's German. Yeah, she's she's Anya Dunk. Yeah, she's right. she's half Welsh, half German, and she's pre- previously written one book on um, uh, German food. But for this idea, you know, she came. She was talking to me about the idea of, of German Christmas and how it's so such a huge thing in Germany. Um, but but then we sort of you know you think in the UK there are so many German bakes that you associate with Christmas. Christmas, you know, Lebkuchen, Stollen, etc., beautiful mm. spiced biscuits, and so we were quite surprised to find that there wasn't a, a cookbook that that you know focused on Advent particularly and that run up to to Christmas. So yeah, I mean, what a delight Anya is, and what a delight this this book. Was. Yes, it is. Again, it's beautifully presented, and I, there's at the beginning of each section there are sort of Christmas or wintry woodcuts, which I think are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Anya is like this multi-talented superwoman. So she, not as well as writing the book and, you know, <laughs> creating all the recipes, um, she photographed it and uh-huh. she did all those lino cuts herself. They are so beautiful, you know, stunning black and white, you know, full page cut, uh, cuts. And, oh, she's just, she's so talented and so when we saw those when we were first talking to her we just said oh my goodness this could be the most festive you know Christmassy almost like a fair, fairy tale a book of fairy tales we kept referencing things like a Grimm's fairy tales and Hansel and Gretel we wanted to make the give the book that sort of feel and so we've got this beautiful green festive green cloth cover with yes gold on because we just wanted it to be a almost like a kind of family album, a book you would go to every single Christmas and that children particularly could get really excited about getting the book out and starting making all those biscuits in the run-up to Christmas. Yes, there are a lot of biscuits. There are, and she makes them in absolutely huge quantities as well, because <laughs> I think the thing is in Germany, there's this, um, the, the idea is that you you bake these big quantities for um, so that you always have something to offer guests when they come to your house. Or if you go and visit friends, you take biscuits with you and you sort of bake them in a certain order on certain days throughout Advent. I mean, it's really, it's it's just such a lovely idea and it's such a sort of comforting 
book and it's done so well. I mean, it only came out in mid-October. Um, I think we practically sold through the, the whole lot, which is perfect. Or, or it's, I, I just, I'm so happy that people have embraced it already. So what will you do? Reprint it every October, November? Well, this is the thing. Yeah, I mean, we just, we'll just do a big print run every, every autumn for, for the mm. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's, mm. it's um, fantastic. And it's, I just do think it's one of those books that is just going to go on for years and years and years. Like everybody will want a copy for Christmas. There are, there are so many Christmas books. And this is just it's a slightly different thing. You can start a bit earlier, you know, end of November and have have a recipe that you can cook every day almost. Yes, and, and up to New Year as well with jam-filled donuts. Yes. Lovely. They're really nice books. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing them with us. And those books were Sambal Shiok by Mandy Yin, Three, Acid Texture Contrast by Celine Kiazim, How to Bake Anything Gluten-Free by Becky Excel, Weekend by Matt Tebbett, and not least, Advent by Anya Dunk, all published by Quadrille. Okay, on now to the Greater Cambridge Plan. Now, this plan covers the next 20 years. We all have an opportunity to comment on it up until 5pm on the 13th of December. Alan spoke with Dave Fox of Trumpington Allotments about it and what his suggestions are. For me, the particular interest is food. The plan has several themes. These include biodiversity and green spaces, social well-being, but also climate change. So they're trying to structure the consultation and the plan around those four main main themes. There's several different ways you can comment on it. There's a list of quick questions. You can comment anonymously, or there's places where you can comment about specific policies within the plan. So you can go in as a lightweight or as heavyweight as you as you want to. Really, I'd like to see in the somewhere in our local policies, be it in the plan or or elsewhere. I'd like to see a a food growing policy which, which says a couple of things. Firstly, that every resident should have an opportunity to grow their own food, which I think fits in with the, uh, the well-being and the, and the, 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 social, the social inclusion um, themes of, of the plan, but also that the city should produce more of its own food, be that market gardens on the edge or how about another co-farm? Wouldn't it be great if another piece, another piece of land like that could be identified and managed as successfully as co-farm has? And, of course, allotments and community gardens. I just had a quick look at the uh, allotment usage and demand in, in Cambridge. So I've been contacting all of the 14 different allotment managers in Cambridge um, who together manage 30 different allotment sites. I last did this in 2009, so... What I'm doing here is comparing allotments in Cambridge City between 2009 and then 12 years later, right now. Um, so, firstly, the amount of allotment land is up by 8% to 43 hectares. That's well over 100 acres of allotment land now in, in the city. And mostly that increases the new sites in the Southern Fringe. Clay Farm near here, Trumpington Meadows, a couple of other smaller sites. But an 8% increase in land, but the number of tenants on Cambridge allotments is up by 50% to well over 2,000 now. It was about 1,450 last time I looked. So so more subdivision of plots? Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. So tenant density was 36 tenants per hectare of land. It's now 52 tenants. So 
overall that means that people are being squeezed onto smaller plots so, so that's good in that it means that more people are getting opportunities to grow their own food it's bad in that those people who can use a lot more land than that mm. um, don't get offered that I then look at the waiting list for allotments and that has increased by 159% over those 12 years. Um, the absolute length of the waiting list, um, I, I think it might be about 1,200. So what can what can our listeners do then? Go on to the, well, the Cambridge City Council website? It's called, uh, the, the website, it's a joint initiative between the city and South Cambridgeshire, so it's called uh, greatercambridgeplanning.org. That's the website. And it leads you into hundreds of documents and if you haven't got much time just go for the go for the quick questionnaire but of course they're they're only getting you to answer the questions they want you to answer what you can do is simply send a email message in your own terms saying what issues you think should be should be considered and you can send that into a local plan at go to greatercambridgeplanning.org and they'd have to take that into account. Right, can you say that again? This local plan local at... Local plan at greatercambridgeplanning.org. Right, so... Go, go to their website. You've got to go to their website and read the, read the questions anyway, so... Yeah, yeah, OK. I want to see all new developments with not merely adequate allotment provision, but with an allotment provision that allows for the future where perhaps, yet again, our just-in-time food system will be exposed as as being very fragile. Um, We've seen this recently, firstly in the pandemic and then also in the lorry driver shortage that has, in both cases, led to um, empty shelves um, in food food stores. A hungry population is is an unhappy population. So perhaps in the future we'll be able to produce more of our own food and process more of it locally and distribute it, distribute that locally. So part of that will be people growing their own, um, which brings not merely the resilience and the climate change advantage of uh, food that's processed and consumed closer to its um, source. So that obviously reduces transport costs and the uh, emissions due to that due to that transport but also has a number of other advantages around health and well-being and I, you know I think that, I think that's recognized so we need so I think we should argue for more allotments and perhaps more community gardens we should make new developments where there's enough space for that to happen with regard to the future demand, and I, I always like to go back to our aerial photograph of these allotments from 1951, which shows Foster Road allotment site dug from corner to corner in Dig for Victory style. It's unmistakable from the, from the old black and white photo. But it's not just that. The allotment site was larger in those days, and there were two other allotment sites in the village. And every back garden in the houses adjoining the allotments looks like an allotment it's dug and it's dug and cultivated in the same way so there must be three or four times as much um, amateur cultivation going on in 1951 
and the population was only 60 or 70 percent of, of what it is now so that shows what can what, what does happen i mean it, it was in the context where people were hungry uh, you know I, I don't like the idea of that returning but you know as we've seen a not very resilient just-in-time delivery food system means that um, perhaps we do need to make sure that in all our fancy high-tech aspiration basic fundamentals of basic, I mean, it could be that I'm completely wrong and there's going to be more than enough food for everyone and that the demand is going to be for I don't know more football pitches well if that's the case then we can use the open space for, yeah. for, for that purpose yeah. um, but it needs to be dynamically managed according to the according to the needs and that was Dave Fox <laughs> And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. Uh, Maison Clement is looking for a head baker working from Tuesday to Saturday for 40 to 45 hours per week starting at 2am and a patisserie assistant Wednesday to Sunday from 4am to noon, that's 40 hours per week. For details go to one of their shops, they're in Hills Road and in Derby Street or email bakery at maisonclement.co.uk. A chef de partie is required at the Gonville Hotel in Gonville Place, Corpus Christi College in Trumpington Street. You must know there about modern pastry techniques. Downing College in Regent Street, Murray Edwards College in Huntington Road and at Hotel de Vin in Trumpington Street. Then a chef assistant is needed at Rocker's Steakhouse near Cambridge Junction. A commie chef is needed at Downing College and a sous chef at Honest Burgers in Wheeler Street and at the University Arms Hotel in Regent Street. And finally, a senior sous, <laughs> senior sous chef is required by the Ivy Brasserie in Trinity Street, a chef at Six and Sushi in Wheeler Street, a pizza chef at Aromi in Bennett Street, a head chef at the University Arms Hotel where the pay is 50k. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. And we will be back on the 18th of December. And next on 105 Radio is Too Good To Be Forgotten. But from us for today, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.